Hi, I'm Lauren from Cincinnati. I'm David from New York. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me and you if you support it. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the show is Adam Reed. With his colleague, Matt Thompson, he co-created the seminal Adult Swim series, Sea Lab 2021 and Frisky Dingo. His latest project is a spy spoof that is very silly and very vulgar, called Archer. The second season of the show premieres on January 27th on the FX network. Let's take a listen to a clip from the show. In this clip, agents Sterling Archer and Lana Kane board a plane to New Orleans, where they'll be attempting to thwart the bombing of a natural gas pipeline by an eco-terrorist. Ah, oh man, is this great? No, Archer. Is that a rhetorical question? Archer? And also was that? Archer! Answer yes, they both were, because New Orleans is my kind of town, and I haven't had a vacation in forever. Well, that's great. NOLA! The Crescent City! The big... Easy. Our mission is to stop an eco-terrorist from blowing up the biggest natural gas pipeline in North America, so I wouldn't exactly call it a vacation. Well, whatever. Working vacation. Because I'm not too worried about some drum-circling hippie tree-hugger, Lana. Sir, can you find your seat for me? Uh, yeah, it's right there. Can you go find some more hurricanes for me? Adam, it's a pleasure to have you on The Sound of Young America. It is an honor to be here. Thank you very much. I like that. That's probably an overstatement. I'm not going to lie to you, but I appreciate it. I, I was going to say pleasure, and then I thought, eh. Just kick it up a notch. It's an honor. It's a, it's, a, it's a little bit better. You have an unusual career path in that you started in this world of animation, then left, uh, went to work in the real entertainment world, quote unquote, and came back. Um, what, was your, what was your first job in uh, Cartoon Network world? My very, very first job that I did in television uh, was working for a marketing guy at Turner, and Turner had just acquired the Hanna-Barbera library, and he would put together deals like uh, if you buy this Jetsons home video, you know, you'll get a free box box of donuts. (laughs) So my very, very first job, I walked in first day of work. And he put two big crates down on my cubicle desk and said, watch all these tapes and take notes. And it was every episode of the Flintstones, <laughs> of which there are 161. Wow, that's a lot of the Flintstones. So for two weeks, nine to five, I watched the Flintstones back to back on old VHS. Well, at the time, they were new VHS tapes, just logging these Flintstones episodes, and what I was looking for was uh, an episode with no dinosaurs. <laughs> and I said, Steve, I can tell you right now, they've all got dinosaurs in them because that's what Fred you know, uses at work. It's in the show open. Well, find me the one with the fewest dinosaurs. <laughs> so I'm about 40 episodes in, and as, you know, finally, why, why, why am I doing this? Well, I'm putting together a deal with uh, – a well-known national snack cake brand, which was owned at the time by the Seventh-day Adventists. (laughs) 
who apparently don't believe in dinosaurs. And I said, you know, I think the Jetsons would be a better fit for them. <laughs> anyway, the deal ended up not happening, but I watched uh, 80 hours of Flintstones. You went on to be, I think, a, a what, a production assistant um, in in that world of Cartoon Network, which was a network that was built around... Um, Me. <laughs> the fact that Ted Turner had just bought this huge trove of content. Yes. Um, why did you leave? Uh, we... <laughs> Uh, Matt Thompson, my, uh, executive producer and I were working on a live action show with a comedian named Carrot Top. Speaking of the creme de la creme. <laughs> it was a live action, uh, for kids. It, uh, aired in the mornings and we worked on it for about, uh, a year to do one, uh, one production cycle. And it was, um, a pretty unpleasant Work experience. Um, so then they said, we wanted to make this C-Lab show. And we said, you know, we'll do this Carrot Top thing if we can make this C-Lab. And they said, yes, absolutely. So we did the Carrot Top thing. And we said, okay, how about now we do C-Lab? They said, we, yes, just one more year of Carrot Top. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't take it. So I left. And uh, Matt followed suit. So you mentioned this C-Lab show. Um, tell me about what you had created before you left Cartoon Network and, and handed to your higher-ups. Uh, we actually we took an episode of uh, C-Lab, which was a 30-minute, a uh, very serious uh, dr- drama, a drama cartoon <laughs> um, set underwater, obviously. But it, the message was all about um, ecology and don't be mean to the ocean and don't poach, you know, seals, all very laudable uh, messages, but it was really, really boring. (laughs) So we just uh, turned the audio off and basically did what's up tiger Lily, where we just revoiced what was already there. And it was uh, not unlike the original C lab far too long (laughs) and about as funny. (laughs) So they they wisely passed on that. You you held on to this dream though. What what was it about C Lab twenty twenty the original C Lab uh, that you liked so much? Well, I thought I thought it lent itself to uh, to be a, a, a great workplace comedy because all these people were you know trapped in a job basically, but it was very far away, isolated from the world. So it you know made sense that they would all be a little nuts by this point. <clears throat> and also we stole the uh, master tapes from Cartoon Network when we left. <laughs> so we had the material to work with. Let's listen to a clip from C-Lab 2021, the series that was eventually born of those early experimentations. Uh, in this scene, the captain of the ship and his crew are arguing uh, on the bridge of the ship over the definition of martial law. Until we find the thief, I am declaring Martian law. Um, I think it's martial law. Silence! Under martial law, what are my powers exactly? Under martial law, you could suspend habeas corpus, empower a posse comitatus. That's crap. Mars is wild, untamed. I'm forming a cadre of Martian knights charged with enforcing Martian law. Huh? Martian knights? Now, who's ready to beat some ass? I'm in. I dub thee 
Sir Phobos, Knight of Mars, beater of ass. Be a hitter, babe. Hey, I want to be a Martian knight. So when you returned to uh, uh, Cartoon Network, tell me what you actually got them to make. We sent them uh, – uh, Matt and I um, were, were out of work for, for a, uh, a good long stretch. So we had these C-Lab tapes. So we made a new seven-minute pilot and sent it uh, to Mike Lazo at Adult Swim um, uninvited. <laughs> and it just happened to coincide with – they were starting Adult Swim and looking for content, which we didn't know. And he called and said, this seems like a good fit. Let's make some cartoons. Adult Swim, for those who don't know, is, is a late-night programming block on the Cartoon Network that, that features content that is targeted at uh, adults, specifically stoned 19-year-olds. And um, it, it features both action cartoons and uh, a variety of very odd um, mostly animated, although these days not exclusively animated, um, comedy programs. And it, this was uh, along with, um, uh, along with uh, a couple of other programs, one of the formative shows that, that established the tone of that, I guess you'd call it a subnetwork. Um, that clip that we played is about as action-oriented as the show gets. It's basically just bickering. Um, and I wonder if that was always the plan, to just sort of take this footage that you had from this television program and just devolve it to the point where it's people bickering with each other. I think so. Uh, Dave Willis, who was one of the creators of Aqua Teen, The Hunger Force, uh, said you know, years and years ago, ni- uh, 95% of everything on television is just roommates bickering. <laughs> And uh, I think in a lot of ways that's true. And, and all of the shows that we've done, whether on purpose or not, have had this sort of grand backdrop, an undersea laboratory or superheroes and supervillains or global espionage that is largely ignored. <laughs> and then the characters just bicker in front of this backdrop. Um, how did you find the right tone for this very odd thing what, what kinds of things did you try and what succeeded and, and failed and how could you even tell what was succeeding and failing on c lab yeah um th- i think we had a we had a great mentor in mike lazo who is uh like a pop culture savant he's seen everything read everything you can find the most obscure japanese anime import that's not even available in American video specs and he's seen it and owns it. And so he would always say for every episode, show me something I haven't seen before. And that was really, really hard to do because he's seen everything. He just, he constantly said, surprise me, surprise me, surprise me. So we would write scripts and he'd say, uh, this is, I've seen this in show X. How can you make it different? How can you make it your own? And a lot of a lot of those scripts and their absurdity, I guess you would call it, were sort of born out of desperation. How many people were working on the show when you were making it? On C-Lab, probably six. I don't know if anybody else has ever worked on a television show that's listening to this, but that's not very many. <laughs> it's not very many. Um, it's not even enough for a Little League baseball team. <laughs> 
which I think we would have been great at. We had some good athletes. Um, but not including the voice talent, of course. Um, but just the, the animators and, and the writers and producers was, I think, six. I think for Frisky Dingo, it was nine. Did the odd stakes of doing a show for so little money um, affect what you were making, do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There were there's so many times, uh, you know, some huge action thing would happen off screen and our characters would just comment on it. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, look at that giant robot over there smashing everything. Hope he doesn't come over here. <laughs> oh, good. He, he's leaving. We're, we're safe. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it does affect it. And, and I find that it uh, when I'm writing the scripts, I'm also thinking, how can this be? Blocked and framed in such a way as to be as cost efficient as possible. You did an entire episode of C Lab that that I watched uh, just the other day. Um, that was just an establishing shot. Yes, where everyone is discussing the fact that the lights are out inside of the uh, C Lab. From a, a production company ownership standpoint, it was brilliant. It only costs like $800 to make that episode. <laughs> hey! What? Did you say something? Hey, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Now, please, I'm trying to find the fuse box. Well, you didn't answer. Quinn, you still mad? Is the power still out? Uh, yes. Yes, it's still dark. The network hated it. They hated <laughs> it so much. Um, and I kept saying to Mike Lazo, you've never seen this before. And he said, that's because who would make such a thing? But uh, that's, what, that's probably my favorite episode of C-Lab, actually, because it's so stupid. There is animation in the episode um, about every five minutes... Uh, some fish go by. Some fish go by, and I think there were some bubbles that one of our animators added without being asked to. <laughs> Is that Debbie? Yes. It's me, Debbie. It's Captain Murphy. I know. Quinn? Yeah. The power's out, Debbie. I know. Ow! Ow! Yeah, Quinn's working on Ow! it, Debbie. Ow! I know that! Ow! So somebody, please help. Who's that? Debbie? I'm blind. Sweet crackers, I'm blind. You're not blind. Utterly blind. You're not blind. The power's out. You know, he might be. Marco? Yeah, I bet he is. Who's that? Sparks? You know, he could have gone blind independently of the power going oh out. Oh, my God, right? I'm blind. Shut up with that. I'm blind. You're not blind. Ah, yes, Marco. I'm blind. You're not More with Adam Reed, the creator of FX's spy comedy, Archer, after a break. It's the Sound of Young America for MaximumFun.org and PRI. Hey, Angelinos and Southern Californians, pay attention. Yeah, get off the treadmill or whatever you're doing while you listen to this. The Sound of Young America is proud to present A Thousand Clowns at CineFamily at the Silent Movie Theater on January 27th. What is A Thousand Clowns? Well, it's basically my favorite movie of all time. I think it's probably the best movie about comedy ever made. Uh, it was an adapted from a, an award-winning play 
by Herb Gardner. It stars Jason Robards in the role that made him famous. And our special screening of the film includes a conversation between me and the child star of the film, Barry Gordon. He was just a young teenager when he made the picture. He went on to go to law school and become for many years the president of SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. He also, by the way, was the voice of the song, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth. Anyway, it's a beautiful film, a hilarious film, and it's also a film that's been out of print for, geez, since the mid-1990s when it went out of print on VHS. In fact, its distributor, MGM, just went into bankruptcy, and we ordered this print of the film on literally the last day that they were fulfilling orders for prints of films. So this is really a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to come see this movie. It's January 27th at the Silent Movie Theater, CineFamily in Los Angeles. Uh, You can find more information, including a link to buy tickets on our website at MaximumFun.org. And I please, I I insist, if you live in Southern California, come see this movie. It will change your life, especially if you care about comedy or just about the process of becoming an adult. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. Coverage of the world of comedy on The Sound of Young America is supported by Humber College, offering a two-year program dedicated to comedy. Students learn stand-up, improv, acting, and writing skills and perform in the heart of Toronto. At Humber, we make funny people funnier. More information at humbercomedy.com. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the show is Adam Reed. His latest project is called Archer. The second season of the show premieres on January 27th on the FX network. In this clip from the second season of the show, Mallory Archer, played by Jessica Walter from Arrested Development, the head of ISIS, the International Secret Intelligence Service, calls a meeting to explain some cost-cutting measures to her staff. So if you want paper towels in there, you'll just have to supply your own. Are you kidding? Where do you get paper towels? And, last item, on a related note, I have no choice but to cut salaries. Eight 8% across the board. And let's just put a lid on it. Do we have to supply our own leads? Look, I didn't invent the economy. And until ISIS gets in the black, we all have to make some sacrifices. So... Line one for you. It's your furrier. Unbelievable. We have to cut back. But you're buying new horseshoes. Tell him to send over the gray fox. See? Sacrifice. At this rate, I'll be reduced to wearing Nutria. Yeah, and your horse with his fancy new shoes. Oh, for the... That's a farrier. When you decided to do a spy show, um, did you have a lot of background in spy world, or did you just have this? Did you just have a vague idea of what it was from, you know, the seven James Bond movies that every person in America has seen? That was basically it. Um, just a very vague notion of of the spy world, and uh, I started doing a lot of research. And one of the things that I had, somebody had given me years ago, every single one of the James Bond paperbacks, which had these lurid uh, sort of Pulp Fiction covers of, you know, James Bond assaulting a woman somehow while playing cards. And I started reading those, and they're really dark. And James Bond in those novels is not... The happy-go-lucky Roger Moore, James Bond. He's a uh, he's a bit of a 
a bad guy. And uh, he's a racist, definitely misogynist. And there's about in every novel, there's James Bond commits some sort of sexual assault. So that that sort of was inspiring to sort of sent me down the path of let's have Archer be a jerk, uh, not of the sexual assault kind of jerk, jerk, but as, as jerky as possible while still being sympathetic. And it sort of, uh, it sort of clicked. I was sort of spinning my wheels on that. And then it clicked when, uh, I watched, was watching the new, the James Bond reboot with uh, Judy Dench as M, and I thought, okay, what if M was James Bond's mother, and what a weird dynamic that would be, and what if they were both <laughs> horrible people? <clears throat> I, I want to read you this this quote that I, I frankly uh, entirely disagree with um, from a review of the show that ran in the Washington Post when it first came out. Forgive me for doing this to you. Is it mean? Oh, it's spectacularly mean. <laughs> um, it it is uh, – it says, be warned, Archer is as obnoxious and cruel as it can possibly be and still call itself humor. I'd quote dialogue, but all the snappier stuff included naughty words for genitals. Do you think of the show as being a mean show? Uh, I do now after, <laughs> after hearing that quote, and I, I'm, I'm despondent. I, I do think it's – it's mean-spirited a lot of times, but I, I think there are unexpected moments of sweetness. And uh, But no, yeah, it's, it's a pretty mean show. I have to say that when I read that, I was, I, I was annoyed because I, I felt like um, uh, I, I felt like it's, it's not a mean show. It's a show full of very petty, shallow characters. Um, but uh, there's something very sweet about all of them, and I don't think the show's perspective is a mean perspective. I think it's more more selfish, I guess, than mean. The show the show has a wonderful cast. Um, John Benjamin, who plays the lead, is a really gifted voice actor. Did Did you always have him in mind when you wrote the show? Yes, yes. Um, and I think uh, it's one of the reasons that. Even if you knew Archer in real life, you would quickly distance yourself from him. You wouldn't want anyone that you knew or loved to date him because he's so horrible. But one of the reasons I think that you root for him, besides knowing that some of it isn't his fault and he's got this terrible mother and had a terrible childhood, is John's delivery is so disarming that even the most conceited, hurtful, horrible things – that Archer says when when John puts voice to them, they come across as not so bad. What about Jessica Walter, who plays Archer's mom, who who runs uh, the spy agency? Did you did you imagine her in that part? Yes. Uh, in fact, when we sent out the uh, the casting notice to all the voiceover agents, we did character descriptions on each character. And in parentheses, after Mallory Archer's character, we said, think Jessica Walter. And the next day, Jessica's agent called and said, how about Jessica Walter? And then we all just ran around pumping our fists in the air and yoo-hooing and jumping up and down. (laughs) And then we dropped her name like crazy to get all these other great people. Was it difficult for you to adjust to... Writing a show that has a narrative that has to have an actual 
television style arc and structure? Not, not really. In fact, it was. Uh, I think it's more natural than in C Lab, where it was. There wasn't enough time to tell a proper story. I felt um, they were basically shorts. So to me, it feels a little more natural to be able to write a beginning, middle, and and an end than just a beginning and a middle, and then it blows up. <laughs> Which was a good technique for for ending a lot of those early C Lab episodes. You know, we actually reused that same explosion numerous times. So, <laughs> industry secret. Adam Reed, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Sound of Young America. It was really fun to have you on the show. Jesse, I will. I will repeat. It was an honor. Uh huh. Adam Reed is the creator of Archer, it returns to the FX network on January 27th. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our music is provided to us by Dan Wally. Our associate producer is Julia Smith. The show is edited by Nick White. Our departing intern is Leo Portugal. Goodbye, Leo. Thank you very much. Our incoming intern is Lindsay Palmer. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you in advance, I guess. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you can find everything about the program and free downloads of not just this, but all of our shows, including Jordan Jesse Go featuring Jordan Morris and more. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. 